The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about juror privacy and the privacy of defendants and what they have a right to know about what people are saying about them during a trial on a networking site. So we have a wonderful guest with us today. We are going to be interviewing a, an attorney from Northern California, Ken Rosenfeld. But before I tell you about Ken, let me tell you a little bit about this fascinating case. The name of the case is Juror Number 1 versus the State of California. And in that case, there really are two issues that are presented. And the first issue, as I see it right here from the brief that was filed with the Supreme Court, says, May the trial court order an individual who served as a juror to consent to the release of personal information and communications contained in a social networking account which is stored by Facebook pursuant to the Federal Storage Communications Act, which, by the way, is 18 U.S.C. 2701 at SEC. And the issue really was with regard to the juror questioning whether there is a legitimate expectation of privacy in his stored communications on Facebook. The court specifically found that the juror testified truthfully at an evidentiary hearing regarding the contents of those postings on Facebook, which were very innocuous. However, the issue is before the Supreme Court now, and it's really going to come down within just a few days of of this interview. Now, there was a second question, which was, may the trial court order an individual juror who served his civic duty as a juror, consent to the release of his records held by Facebook, where the clear intent is to determine whether the juror committed perjury during an evidentiary hearing at which he was not even advised of his rights to representation by counsel. So there is a big concern that a court would order him to consent to release his Facebook account postings the question, would this implicate his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination? So this was a huge issue of importance. And if 
you're listening to this, I guarantee that 90% of you are using social networking, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or MySpace or even whether you blog. So this is a huge issue that extends far beyond just the juror's right to privacy. It extends to anyone's right to privacy. So this issue, which is before the California Supreme Court right now, and we're expecting a decision any day, has really received extensive media attention because it is really a case of first impression. And it has far-reaching implications for prospective jurors, which any of us could be. As Ken says in his brief, he says, those who are called to serve on a jury duty now will be faced with the possibility that their personal information and private communications may be obtained by defendants seeking to overturn the verdicts should another juror claim that the juror posted on a social networking site during trial. And in the case that is before the Supreme Court now, it's really noteworthy that in that case, the losing parties are five members of a violent street gang. So we would not want cases overturned because of the issue of someone writing that they are doing jury duty on a networking site. And as you'll hear Ken talk about it with me, there are certain changes that need to be made so that everybody realizes that when you're on social networking, you really are communicating. You have to be very careful about what you disclose or don't disclose. So I'm excited to interview Ken, and I want to tell you more about this great attorney who has taken on this critical case about privacy in the information age. So let me tell you more about Ken Rosenfeld. Sacramento criminal defense lawyer Ken Rosenfeld has over 100 criminal defense trials to his credit. As a California criminal defense lawyer, Mr. Rosenfeld has successfully and aggressively defended cases ranging from first-degree murder to driving under the influence and he has developed a specialty in the defense of all sex offenses as well. But lately, he has become a real expert on privacy, and he's going to tell you all about it. It's very exciting. He, um, he has successfully defended high-profile media cases, and Ken has personally made appearances on television and radio, so we're lucky to have him. And in one particular case, uh, Ken has successfully defended a gentleman who faced 120 years in prison if, if convicted. And luckily for this gentleman, today he is at home with his family, having put his entire ordeal behind him. And as a criminal defense lawyer, Ken also teaches constitutional law, evidence, and professional responsibility to law students, and he helps them prepare for the California bar exam, which is great. And he continues to serve as an expert commentator for several television stations in the Sacramento area where he practices. And he's appeared on national media as an expert criminal law commentator. And now he's even become a privacy expert. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Ken, why don't you tell us about this in incredibly interesting case dealing with privacy and a criminal uh, trial? What has basically happened in this case was that juror number one, who is my client, during the pendency of a criminal trial in which there were five defendants and they were facing gang charges and which could lead to life in prison, 
he was the foreman of the jury. And during breaks during the trial, he had sent a few Facebook messages through his cell phone onto his Facebook that was picked up by the people that were his friends on Facebook. Things about the trial, things that were innocuous about the trial, but his musings to some degree of what was happening, what was going on. And at no point was there any text messages or anything sent to Facebook that would reveal that he had taken a position one way or another with respect to the trial. Right. And what had happened is that after conviction, one of the other jurors who became his friend on Facebook felt that this was inappropriate and went to one of the defense lawyers in the case and told the defense attorney after conviction that this had occurred. Well, of course, then the defense attorney did what any quality defense lawyer would do, began investigating and began the process of a motion for new trial based upon what they considered to be jury misconduct. I then became involved in the case afterwards and was hired by the juror to represent his interest to protect his privacy and protect his Facebook account from getting into the hands of criminal defendants that he just voted to convict that were now facing life in prison that are also notorious street gang members. And what are the usual jury instructions for jurors about communicating anything about the trial during the pendency of the trial? Well, that's a great question. And the general instruction is that jurors are not to communicate with respect to the trial. And the court generally then tells them communicate means not to talk to your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or so or coworkers. But the instruction itself is so woefully inadequate that it doesn't take into account social media. Our law and the law instructions and jury instructions are so far behind technology that it doesn't make sense the way that they're written as far as understanding is concerned for the typical juror. We have to take into account that a jury is people of the community that are not attorneys. And when you write jury instructions that cannot be plainly understood in today's society, you cannot expect that people are going to, quote, follow the rules when they don't know what the rules really are. Communication to a layperson means so much more than just talking to another person. You have to tell them and spell it out for them. Communication is not limited to just speaking to one another. Communication also means text messages, emails, social media, data, and our instruction doesn't say that. So one of my pet peeves with this whole case, one of the things that we're working towards changing, is being able to instruct the panel and instruct the juror exactly what it means to communicate, because right now the instruction is so woefully inadequate that this was bound to happen. Right. And people, when they're, when they're communicating with Facebook, they don't even really consider that, that they're communicating. They, they really are just kind of, often they're just having, you know, free flow of information between friends. And it's just something that they don't even really equate with the kind of legal issues that, that you're talking about. So Absolutely. you're right. It has to be real specific. So why don't you bring us up to date what happened with all of the legal maneuverings well, what had happened with the case was that after the defense attorneys in the matter brought the courts attend, brought the court to the attention that this was occurring, the court then held its own investigation. I wasn't counsel at this point. The court then brought my client in post-conviction for a hearing. The hearing was conducted under court rules that are post-conviction and jury misconduct or alleged jury misconduct. My client gave sworn testimony under oath that he never formed an opinion during the pendency of the trial, that anything that was communicated did not have anything to do with the relevance of what his decision would be with respect to the trial. And the court was satisfied. 
court was satisfied that he was telling the truth and had concluded the hearing at that point. One of the defense attorneys after the hearing had asked that they be allowed to subpoena Facebook and receive all of the Facebook records. The court, unaware of the total implications of the Stored Communications Act, signed the subpoena to Facebook for Facebook to appear in court with all of my clients' records from Facebook. Well, Facebook showed up and said that that's never going to happen. We're not giving you the records. There's this device or instrument called the Stored Communications Act, which prohibits us, even if we wanted to, from giving you the records. The only way to get the records is if my client allowed them to give the records, which, of course, as his attorney, I was never going to let happen. I wasn't going to compromise his friends and his family by putting their personal information in the hands of a street gang. Right. It wasn't going to happen. Right. The court believed that the next step would be, since they, were, they ran into a roadblock with Facebook, that the only appropriate step would be to then compel consent, order my client to sign a consent form to be given to Facebook so that Facebook would then turn the records over to the court. So you could imagine that no lawyer is going just to stand and allow that to happen. Right. So we immediately asked for a stay of the order, which the court did not give us, but the court did give us 10 days to appeal it. We then filed an appeal very quickly with the Third District Court of Appeals, who denied even considering the issue. They flatly and, in my opinion, wrongfully just said, no, we're not even going to hear the issue. Right. Your petition for emergency writ is denied. Hmm. This happened on the ninth day. So we were faced in, in quite a situation that we had to make a decision of what were we going to do. And we decided on the ninth day that we were going to take a two-pronged attack. The first part of it was going to be we were going to appeal the decision of the California Appellate Court to the California Supreme Court immediately. The second prong was that we were going to file a 1983 action in federal court against the civil rights of my client, and that the court was violating my client's civil rights by making this order compelled consent. And we filed both documents very quickly. And luckily for us, the California Supreme Court granted our stay and immediately told the court that he's not signing any documents, there's not going to be a compelled waiver, this matter is going to be heard. So we got some breathing room there. And then we began the pendency of litigation that we're in right now. Right. So where does it stand right now? You're going to what what is going to happen here very soon? Well, the California Supreme Court on the 10th day, what they did was they granted a stay. They didn't tell us they were going to hear the case, nor did they grant the case on its merits. But they stay, they granted the stay, which gave us the opportunity to then try to convince them that they had to hear this case. We sent briefing. And of course, the defense lawyers sent opposing briefing. And what they had ordered was that in a full court order, each justice of the California Supreme Court signed the order demanding that the Third District Court of Appeals, who had originally ignored the issue, <laughs> demanded that they hear the case in full. Wow. So we did get what we wanted. We at least had our, we have our opportunity to be heard because the privacy rights of a juror is the most sacred aspect of our justice system. If we're going to compromise a jury or a juror who's going into that building with the belief that he or she could have their personal information divulged, they're not going to be fair and impartial. They're not going to want to serve. Without that, this entire system collapses. The thing that separates this system from all other countries and makes it the best justice system in the world is the fact that 
two people going to court every day with different opinions. The defense believes in their case, and the prosecution wouldn't be there if they didn't believe they can prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. So you bring it in front of 12 people who aren't interested, who don't have a dog in the race, and they're the ones that make the decision and they decide. If we lose those 12 people, if their integrity is going to be compromised because they're concerned about their privacy, we've lost the entire system. And it will have far-reaching implications, far beyond that of just criminal law. It'll also touch and affect civil law, family law, probate, anything you could think of. Because the entire process, the entire concept of our justice system, the government is not the one that's going to make the decision. If you look at the Constitution and look at the framers of the Constitution, they had great distrust of government, which is why they incorporated the jury system to begin with. And in a clear reading of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote that if there comes a point where the government becomes something that is not serving the people, it is a citizen's not just right, but responsibility to overthrow that government. So they were well aware of what government could do. That's why we have a jury system. And this ruling of compelled consent to an independent citizen was something that, in my opinion, ran so afoul of the Constitution that we took it up as a cause, and we were not stopping under any circumstances. Right. So so really two-pronged things. One is we have to make it really clear for jurors that they know they cannot say anything at all about the trial in any kind of social networking and just make it really clear in black and white. That'll that'll help going forward. But meanwhile, we're worried about this expectation of privacy that people have. Let me ask you something, and I don't know if this was something that you guys tried to do or not, or if it was something that you'd ever even consider, but was there ever any thought of just having um, redacted only that part from that those days that he um, actually said anything on Facebook and just have in camera just for the judge to see? Was there any thought of just letting the judge see redacted stuff that had nothing to do with his friends or family that only dealt with the case with you know what I'm saying, where it was just all blocked out sure. except for what he said? Was anyone ever talking about that kind of thing? No, uh, for many reasons. One is that I've been involved in enough criminal cases, having done over 100 of them, that nothing ever just is in camera. Because if the court sees something that the court believes has exculpatory value, right. the court's under an obligation to turn it over. Right, right. So that was the first issue. And the second issue was that this is such a slippery slope. Yes, that we cannot allow any part of it to even begin. Because if we're going to go down that road, then it's somewhat consenting to the court's order in the sense of the violation of privacy, because it's like being a little bit pregnant. Yeah. Either you are or you're not. If you're going to turn the records over, then it's a danger because the records themselves can lead to additional records. And once you start down the Facebook path and you contact one friend or you look at one person, eventually you can play six degrees of separation. You don't have to be Kevin Bacon to get to the entire network of everybody on Facebook. And that's the problem here. So the idea of giving them a little bit of information, no quality defense lawyer would ever accept a little bit of information. I know that personally. The second issue with it is that it, it doesn't serve its purpose because the idea of compelled consent has to be fought. It yes. has to be fought on behalf of all citizens of the United States, right. all users of social media. We are protecting the rights of 500 million people just on Facebook, not to speak of all the other social media networking sites. We are standing up for all of them by wanting the system to remain pure. And yes. the purity of the system is what makes it the best system in the world. Is it perfect? Of course not. 
even the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, a more perfect union in the Constitution. We never accepted that we're going to be perfect, but a more perfect union is what we're looking for. And in order to do that, we have to be able to protect the jury system. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. And I think the whole issue of all these social networking and people not even, you know, it's it's really new and fast and we're, we're all using it, but people don't even have a clue about the huge ramifications of what they're saying on there, who gets to see it, how it gets to share it, who becomes your friends who you don't even know. I mean, it is a big can of worms. But I want to tell everybody that you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And we're talking with Ken Rosenfeld, who's a wonderful attorney with a fantastic approach right now. He's a criminal lawyer, but he is really trying to protect jurors right now and their right to privacy. And, and this is our fund drive. And we have this fund drive annually to help support this public radio at UCI. And we hope that you will listen to us and also that you are going to participate in our fund drive. As a host and uh, here on KUCI, we have DJs that are music hosts and public affairs hosts. And we pledge our commitment to you to bring great public affairs shows and terrific music. And we are all volunteers here giving of our time for great listening for you. So now we're asking you to give back to us the gift that we give to you. So please pledge your tax-deductible donation to this one, this show, Privacy Piracy, and all the other wonderful shows that you have here at KUCI. And speaking of gifts, when you give a gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift back from KUCI. But most of all, you'll be able to help to continue this show and all the other great shows that air 24-7 on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. So thank you in advance. Give a call right now at 849-824-5824. That's 949-UCI-KUCI. Make your tax-deductible donation right now by calling UCI-KUCI, 949-824-5824. And please, when you call, remember to say that you're pledging for privacy piracy. And Ken, thank you so much for being with us on this day. You are one of our wonderful guests that we're so pleased to have and and. The pledges will really help to support this. Now, let's let's talk a little bit more about, um, you know, how social media really does potentially invade our privacy. That's become a, a real passion for you right now, hasn't it? Well, yes, because I am not personally a user of social media in the sense of Facebook or any other accounts like that, but certainly respect the rights of people that want to use them. I do think that there's a complication because people do think that their information that they send through the Internet, if they delete it, it's gone. And it's certainly not. This information is stored. It is kept. And people that use social media need to be protected because of how prevalent it is in our society, how important it's become in our society. Who doesn't have some kind of link right now to social media through either email or anything else that you may receive? Since we're all using the computer and we're all using the Internet, social media is one step and a very small step behind what everybody's doing anyway if you're not already on it. So the idea of having to protect yourself and protect your family and friends from this concept that has not caught up with the law is something we're very passionate about doing. Well, we really thank you. We're going to send everybody to your website. Why don't you just give it, and then we are just about out of time. Our website is therosenfeldlawfirm.com, all one word. 
Okay, and we will have you back again and find out what's going on. So good luck, and we really appreciate all you're doing in the area of privacy. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to KUC. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy, Piracy, and Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Thank you so very much for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. This week is KUCI's Fun Drive. As hosts and music DJs right here at KUCI, we pledge our commitment to bring you the very best in public affairs shows and terrific music. We are all volunteers giving you the gift of great listening pleasure. So now we are asking you to give a gift back to the station. Please pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue this show and all the other great programs here at KUCI. Speaking of gifts, when you give a gift to KUCI, you'll also be eligible to receive a pledge gift back from the KUCI station. But most of all, you will help to continue this show and all the other great shows that air 24-7. So thank you in advance for calling right now, 949-824-5824. That's 949-UCI-KUCI, 949-824-5824. Please remember when you call to mention the show you're listening to. Thank you so much for listening to Privacy Piracy and Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Thank you. I 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. for KUCI's Privacy Piracy and visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Also, remember, this is our pledge drive and we would love to hear from you and have you give a gift back to KUCI for all the wonderful music and PA shows that you hear all the time. Remember, every one of us is a volunteer giving the gift of great music and great listening pleasure for you. So please pick up the phone right now. And we want to thank you in advance for calling and pledging whatever you can to 949-824-5824. That's 949-UCI-KUCI. Make your tax-deductible donation right now, and then in return, you can get a pledge gift. And our DJs will help you, and they will answer your calls, and they'll tell you how you can get your pledge gift. So remember, when you call, please mention Privacy Piracy and also Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, which is coming up next. So thank you, and we hope that you'll join us, and thanks for donating to our pledge drive. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy, Piracy, and Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Thank you so very much for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. This week is KUCI's Fun Drive. As hosts and music DJs right here at KUCI, we pledge our commitment to bring you the very best in public affairs shows and terrific music. We are all volunteers giving you the gift of great 
listening pleasure. So now we are asking you to give a gift back to the station. Please pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue this show and all the other great programs here at KUCI. Speaking of gifts, when you give a gift to KUCI, you'll also be eligible to receive a pledge gift back from the KUCI station. But most of all, you will help to continue this show and all the other great shows that air 24-7. So thank you in advance for calling right now, 949-824-5824. That's 949-UCI-KUCI, 949-824-5824. Please remember when you call to mention the show you're listening to. Thank you so much for listening to Privacy Piracy and Prescriptions for Healing Conflict.